you. Gosh, that was, thanks guys, I appreciate that. Thank you uh, for that welcome and welcome to you that are joining us online. Um, I just got to say, I was so excited when I saw that baptism video and I, I was noticing little things. I, I kind of looked at the end of the baptismal and I saw that GoPro on there and I thought about Nathan and I thought, man, is anybody going to kick that thing off of there? <laughs> I just wondered if there were some outtakes. And then I noticed Pastor James' shirt, it said, Jesus loves you. And I was watching people come up out of the baptism and they were gripping the end like that. And I thought, that's just a reminder. You know, I'm putting you down in the water, but Jesus loves you. Um, hey, before I start, can I just tell you how much I love your pastor? Uh, he's an amazing guy. It, I think about the first time I met him. Um, I had been on staff at B4 for, for oh, I don't know, years. And, and Lane came on. He came on as a worship pastor. He's he was worship leader for our youth. And we were doing planning. I think it was for Christmas or Easter or something like that. And Lane's sitting in this meeting, and he's just listening, and he's like asking really good, insightful questions. And I'm thinking, man, this guy is smart. He's like Mr. Spock or Jean-Luc Picard or James Tiberius Kirk. Yeah, these comparisons are good, aren't they? Like, you guys know about his Star Trek thing, don't you? So anyway, I thought it would be fun if I brought you guys some pictures of Lane's early days at B4. So this is when he was first introduced to staff. They took him around, and, and they were <laughs> letting, letting Lane meet everybody. And now Kate mentioned that I was something of a mentor to Lane, but it was mutual. We would get into these big theological discussions, and there was one day that Lane invited me into his office, and, and I snapped a pic because I was just so impressed by, <laughs> by how his office looked. And the, as Lane you know, went on, his leadership gifts became evident, and of course he got promoted, and he became the director over youth and young adults, and he was always at the camps, and this is a pic of, of Lane helping out a camper who was injured. <laughs> so. I'm, I'm told when I sent those over, your staff said, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna frame those and put them in his office before, before he gets back. Um, Hey, let's, let's, let's pray really quickly um, before we get into today's message. Uh, Jesus, thanks for, thanks for bringing us together today. Um, we believe there aren't accidents. Um, we believe that, that you are Lord of all and that when we gather today, you have something for us, something for me, something for this church, something for us to share. And we invite you by your spirit to just breathe on that so that we go away from this place changed by you. We pray this in your name. Amen. So before we dive into the message today, I just want to acknowledge how much I enjoyed the way Pastor Brett sort of unpacked uh, Paul's visit with the Ephesian elders last week. Uh, he talked about how Paul's departing words were really designed to build up the elders. They were meant to focus on the way Paul's words and his life had shaped them and encouraged them to take care of the church and to steward their influence. Um, and part of the reason Paul was doing that was he was conscious that he wasn't going to see him again. He, he knew he was taking a journey to Jerusalem that was about to start something, was about to start a significant next chapter in his life. And as it turns out, there were, there were events that were about to unfold that were going to change the course of his life. He went to Jerusalem to deliver um, uh, an offering. There was a, a famine there, and he had collected money from the churches that he had established. 
And he gets to Jerusalem, but things didn't go quite as he expected. There was a riot there at the temple. He was arrested, and he spent the better part of the next couple of years in, in and out of, of house arrest and in prison. And finally, and this brings us to where we are today, he would appeal to Caesar. He would finally say, look, I need to take my case right to Caesar, and as a Roman citizen, that's my right. And he would take another journey all the way to Rome. And as we look at this, the beginning of this trip to Rome, we see God's remarkable faithfulness to Paul in a way that hopefully will encourage us. Now, when Lane asked me to be here today, and he gave me this passage, and he, he assigned me this as part of your ongoing series in our origin story, he said, Steve, this is a huge chunk of scripture. It goes all the way from the beginning of chapter 27, and it goes well into chapter 28, 10 verses into chapter 28. So he said, feel free to just take a smaller chunk of that. And as I thought about it, and I prayed over it, I said, you know, I think, I think I'm actually going to take a bigger chunk. I'm going to go all the way from Genesis to Revelation. So I'm going to preach the entire Bible today. Um, because any journey, any journey that we take, whether it's Paul's journey from Tancria to Rome, whether it's your journey um, to get a degree in college, whether it's a marriage that might take decades, whether it's starting a family and having kids, any kind of journey is framed by a context. There's some kind of context that frames that journey. And whatever the context is, it helps define the journey. It helps you understand where the journey starts and where you're going. And our lives are made up of a series of these journeys. They have various beginnings and endings. And some are smaller. They're like a little side trip, like, like Paul took with the Ephesian elders. And some of these journeys are really big. They're like getting married and starting a family. But every single journey of every single human life fits in to a much larger story, a big frame, one that reaches beyond the edges of any one person's life. And it's a journey that God started a long, long time ago. And it goes from a garden to a city. I want to show you this image. I wasn't kidding when I said Genesis to Revelation. In Genesis chapter 1, the whole Bible starts in a garden. It starts with God establishing a relationship with human beings in a garden, and everything is good. And if you're familiar with the story of the Bible, you know that it goes wrong, and God makes a promise. He says, I'm going to make it right again. And if you skip all the way to the end of the Bible, you have this thing called the New Jerusalem, this city. And so it goes with God having this relationship with a couple of people, and he says, I want to have that same relationship with a city full of people. So literally, the story of the Bible is a story from going from a garden to a city, from a small group of people with God to a whole city full of people with God, from goodness to goodness. And it's this huge arc. And let's, let's take a look at this next slide. But along the way, there's a lot of ups and downs, aren't there? And that wave could represent the nation of Israel. It could represent David's life, King David. It could represent the life of Paul. It could represent your life. It could represent my life. One of the high points in my life might be the birth of my child. One of the low points might be algebra. 
But we have this humongous journey that pulls us along in its wake. And it gives meaning and purpose to the ups and downs of our journey. And without that, anything that happens in our life can seem like complete random nonsense. And it does to someone that doesn't know God. But if you do know God, if you know him, then your journey is framed by his And then it makes sense, all of it. I have a friend um, that I've known for a long time now, and he grew up in a very privileged background. He grew up in the Midwest. His dad was uh, a top-level exec at a, a big company, and I mean, he grew up in a house that looked, looked like the Pittock Mansion. Um, and he got kind of disaffected. He graduated from college and thought, I, I want life differently. And, um, and he, at one point, he just decided, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do ministry in the inner city of Chicago. And so he left the suburbs, and he moved into a small apartment, and he started to do ministry there. And he began to make connections with people, and, and he began to see some results. People were coming to faith in Jesus, but he felt a little bit like a poser inside because his own faith was a bit wobbly. And he led this one couple to faith, and one night his, his phone lights up. It's about three in the morning, and he hears this young man's voice, and he says, you got to come to the hospital. We're, we're losing the baby. And so he gets in his car, and he's driving to the hospital. And he's thinking all the while there, he's thinking, oh, my gosh, what am I going to say? How, how, how am I going to convince these people that God is good? There's the possibility that they're going to lose their child. What if I get there and, and the, the child has died? What, what if that happens? What, what am I going to say to them? How am I going to apologize for God? How am I going to convince them that God is still good? And he gets there, and he goes up the elevator, and he gets to the right floor, and he turns the corner and he looks down a long hallway and right at the end of that hallway is his friend and his friend turns and looks at him and he can tell by the way their eyes meet that the child is no longer alive. And he starts walking towards him and his mind is just a jumble. It's just going a mile a minute. He has no idea what he's going to say. And rather than speak, his friend just wraps him in a hug and buries his head in his shoulder and begins to sob. And through his sobs, he says, I don't know how anyone could get through something like this without Jesus. See, he didn't, he didn't want answers. He didn't need answers because his relationship with God had already framed his journey. See, if you know Jesus and believe that your journey is framed by his, then life makes sense. With Jesus, our stories can be filled with peace and hope, even during the worst kind of storms. Now, Paul's journey, the one that we're looking at today, is exactly like that. It is basically a storm. The waves of a huge storm literally toss him around. However, he's sure of one thing. His journey is intersecting God's journey exactly as it should. And let's look at that. So Paul's journey starts with a warning. And I'm going to read here in Acts chapter 27. If you want to turn there or you want to scroll there. I'm going to start with verse 1 and 2, and then I'm going to drop down to verse 9 and 10. And this is the NIV. It starts out in verse 1. It says, when it was decided that we would sail for Italy, Paul and some other prisoners were handed over to a centurion named Julius, who belonged to the Imperial Regiment. And we boarded a ship from someplace that I can't pronounce. 
I have great sympathy for whoever was doing lectionary reading when Lane said last week that he gives other people that, that assignment so they don't have to, he doesn't have to say the words of places. A ship from Adram to, yeah, whatever, about to sail for ports along the coast of a province of Asia, and we put out to sea. Much time had been lost, and sailing had already become dangerous because by now it was after the Day of Atonement. So Paul warned them, men, I can see that our voyage is going to be disastrous and bring great loss to ship and cargo. And Paul is right. This voyage is full of trouble. And sometimes we have to start something knowing it's going to be hard. Even though we want to get out of it, we can't. Remember? what I said earlier, Paul had been arrested at a riot in Jerusalem, and after a long, drawn-out couple of years of proceedings, he had used his rights as a Roman citizen to appeal to Caesar, and now he was on his way to Rome. And the question is, would he get there? And the answer is, yeah, he would. He had assurance. After the riot, he had gone to the temple, and there were some people who knew he, he had been table fellowship with Gentiles. They knew he had been throughout Asia, that he had been building these household churches, these mixed communities of Jews and Gentiles, and they saw him at the temple, and they pointed him out, and he said, this guy's brought a Gentile into the temple, and that was about the worst thing you could do in Jerusalem, and a riot broke out, some Roman soldiers heard about it, came running, and they grabbed Paul because they didn't want him torn apart. And it started a whole series of events that eventually ended up with him in jail and under house arrest. But during part of this, in Acts 23, in verse 11, after some of these proceedings had taken place, it says, the Lord stood by him and said, have courage, for as you've testified about me in Jerusalem, so it's necessary for you to testify me in Rome. And sometimes throughout our journeys, sometimes throughout the ups and downs of our journeys, God is explicit. Sometimes he just tells us straight up about his faithfulness. Other times we read about it in the scriptures. Or maybe a trusted friend, somebody that we've known for a long, long time, gives us some encouragement, and we just feel the Spirit's breath on that. And we know that God has spoken to us, that he's encouraged us. And other times... We just meditate on his past faithfulness. We remember what he's done for us in the past, but whatever form it takes, it always boils down to this. Just like Paul, we come to know God's faithfulness where the circumstances of our journey intersect the arc of his journey. If you think about that long line that goes from the garden to the city, when we find ourselves coming into that place, when we find our journey intersecting the long line of God's faithfulness, we get to see his character and the way in which he cares for us along the way. When we look at Paul's journey, we see a model for our own. Now, in our own journeys, just like Paul, we're going to get hit by big waves. There's going to be things come our way like financial losses. There are going to be relationships that end in heartbreak. They start out with the best of intentions and, and the best of hopes, but they, they end badly. We're going to run into things like illness and even unexpected, unwelcome death. We're going to run into things like wildfires. My, my oldest daughter and her husband and my granddaughter moved to Maui a month ago. I mean, I'm a, I was on my phone for 24 hours. 
And sometimes when these things come our ways, when, when the waves, when the ups and downs start to break over us, God intervenes in miraculous ways. And we get to tell a remarkable story. We get to just testify about God's faithfulness. And other times, his faithfulness looks more ordinary. Sometimes it looks like courage and long-suffering or hope in the face of circumstances that would normally make us afraid or make us want to bail out or just throw up our hands in despair. But the same wind that drives those waves up also drives the ship forward. In fact, we see that the wind is in charge of Paul's journey throughout the whole of this story. If we dip back into the story in Acts 27, starting in verse 12 and reading through 15, it says, Since the harbor was unsuitable to winter in, the majority decided that we should sail on, hoping to reach Phoenix and winter there. This was a harbor in Crete, facing both southwest and northwest. When a gentle south wind began to blow, they saw their opportunity, so they weighed anchor and sailed along the shore of Crete. Before very long, a wind of hurricane force called a nor'easter swept down from the island. The ship was caught by the storm and could not head into the wind, so we gave way to it and were driven along. At this point, everyone on this ship starts to lose it, except for Paul. Now, what's different by him? What? What, why doesn't this change from a gentle wind to a hurricane force wind freak him out? And as I was thinking about this, I thought, well, maybe it's his understanding of the nature of wind. Because Jesus said something very interesting about wind. John's gospel in chapter 3, there's a story that John records for us where Jesus has a conversation with a guy named Nicodemus. And Nicodemus is a Pharisee. He's, he's part of a, a ruling class of religious leaders. And not only that, but he has the title the teacher of Israel, which means he's not only part of this ruling class, and he's not only part of the leadership of that, he's like at the top of the heap of that leadership. And he comes to Jesus at night. He's kind of hedging his bets a little bit. He doesn't come to him in the temple when he's teaching during the day. He comes to him at night, and he, and he calls him a rabbi. He gives him respect, but he's kind of like, Want to put his arm around this young man and say, hey, why don't you come over here and be a part of what we are? And it begins a conversation in which Jesus absolutely rocks his world. Jesus is talking about the spirit and the things that God is doing. And Nicodemus is just having a hard time understanding this. And Jesus comments on that and he says, the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going, and so it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Now, what's interesting about what Jesus is saying here is the word for wind and the word for spirit is exactly the same word. So you could read this, the Spirit blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the wind. And the only way that's translated the way it is is because of context. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. We cannot tell for sure where it's going except for an assurance that that wind, that spirit, will always blow along that line from garden to city. And the same spirit, the same wind that drove Jesus into the wilderness and led him to teach and heal as he did, also blows at our backs. And it will move us in sync with God's journey. So the assurance of the spirit's presence and purpose gives us confidence 
And we're different among the high winds and the high waves from most folks, just as Paul is different from his shipmates. Listen to the encouragement that he offers them when they've just completely lost hope. This, again, is from Acts 27, and I'm going to read from verse 19 to 26, and I'm going to drop down from 33 to 36. On the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. Their sun or stars appeared for many days, and the storm continued raging. We finally were being saved. And after a long time of food, Paul stood up before them and said, Men, you should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete. Then you would have spared yourself this damage and loss. I know. <laughs> Paul's not above saying, I told you so, is he? <laughs> I appreciate you guys. You guys are listening. You're like, oh my gosh. Um, But now I urge you to keep up your courage because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Last night, an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me and said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar and God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. Now, I don't know if you're paying attention here, but Paul's talking to people who don't know God and don't believe. And he's offering them encouragement. He's saying, I'm convinced that because my timeline is in sync with God's, my journey is in sync with God's, You're going to come along with me. Just before dawn, Paul urged them all to eat. Now, he knows what's coming, and he knows they need strength. For 14 days, he said, you have been in constant suspense and have gone without food. You haven't eaten anything. Now, I urge you, take some food. You need it to survive. Not one of you will lose a single hair from his head. And after this, he took some bread and gave thanks to God in front of them all. And then he broke it and began to eat, and they were all encouraged and ate some food themselves. You know, there's a nice little detail that, that Luke tucks in here. If you're paying attention, he broke some bread and distributed it. I think when you follow Jesus, when your life starts to get in sync, when your journey starts to get in sync with that of God, you start to look like Jesus. And if you're familiar with Jesus' story on the night that he offered himself up, he broke the bread and distributed it. Paul was convinced of God's faithfulness. He'd seen it. He'd seen the evidence of it. He'd witnessed it firsthand in his own travels, in his own ministry. And so he was able to offer that encouragement and that assurance to others. For most of the passengers, this trip was a disaster. But for Paul... It was a voyage full of God's faithfulness. And I'm just going to run down a few of these verses and point it out. In in 27.3, when the centurion Julius allowed Paul to go to his friends in Sidon. So he's under house arrest. He's he's under Roman arrest. The centurion allows him to go with his friends in Sidon. It's a kindness from God. In those days, when you were a prisoner, the only way you had provision is if your friends gave you stuff. The prison didn't give you food. The prison didn't give you anything. They just threw shackles on you and put you away. So this was a kindness, not just from the centurion, but from God. In verse 6, the centurion found an Alexandrian ship sailing for Italy. In those days, you didn't take out your phone and book a trip on an app. You just showed up at at a port somewhere and hoped you could find a ship. And remember, this is the worst season to travel. But they not only found a ship, they found an Alexandrian ship. And why is that important? 
Because if you ate bread in Rome, it came from grain in Egypt. So this was a, this was a ship that made a regular trip back and forth between the grain it picked up in Alexandria and Egypt and Rome where it sold that grain. So it was an experienced ship and an experienced crew traveling at a dangerous time. It was the best ship they could have got. Still didn't turn out good. Um, God's wisdom in verse 10. Paul's among experienced sailors and they're going, we think we can do this. And he tells them, I don't know guys, this is not going to end well. How did he know that? The encouragement, the sustenance, we just read about Paul giving them encouragement because God sent an angel to them and encouraging them to eat because they were going to need the strength because they were going to be rescued. Uh, there's a part of the story we won't get into where, where they actually go on to this island in Malta. And God's hospitality is given, offered to them through the residents of that island. They, they embrace them, not as, not as a problem, but as people to be cared for, God's protection. They're building a fire on the beach because everybody's cold. This snake comes out of the fire. It's a, it's a poisonous viper and, and bites Paul, and everybody's like, oh, he's going to die. He must be a murderer. He's miraculously protected. No ill effects. And at the very end of the story, when they were ready to set sail, the entire island furnished them everything they needed, and we see God's provision See, if you frame Paul's voyage outside of the garden to city journey, it's a complete failure. They never made it to Rome. The ship and the cargo were lost. You know, if you were a sailor expecting to get paid or you were an investor expecting to get a return on your investment, sorry. However, when we look at how this trip intersects with all that God is doing in history, everything he's doing to make the world new again, it's a stunning example of his faithfulness. So the question becomes for us, when we consider the wind and the waves and the storms of our own lives, how will we frame our journeys? Will we see ourselves as a bit of cork bobbing on an endless sea of randomness? Or will we see how the ups and downs of our paths intersect God's and notice his faithfulness along the way? I want to invite the worship team up here because we're going to end this service with a response song. But before we do that, we're going to share communion today. And when you came in, you should have gotten a little cup. Um, Paul did a lot of other things besides go on a stormy voyage. Um, and one of the things he did was he actually gave us the earliest written record of the gospel and the earliest written record of this thing we call communion, sharing the Lord's Supper at table. And he, he did that in a letter he wrote to the church at Corinth, the very first letter he wrote. And in chapter 15, he, he records the gospel in brief. He summarizes it. And he says... Oh, okay. Did I surprise them? A little bit. Okay. He says, For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, that he appeared to Cephas and then to the Twelve, and after that he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living. 
And why is that important? Why would it be important to take a moment and look at, at Paul writing that down? Because everything that I've talked to you about this morning, that, that noticing God's faithfulness, at experiencing God's faithfulness throughout the ups and downs of your life, it really does depend on your journey syncing up with God's journey. God is going to accomplish what he promised. He's going to take his world from the garden to the city. He said he's going to do that. He said it in Genesis 3. He promised it again and again throughout the scriptures. And that promise came, came to a point in history where he said, I'm going to send my son to take care of the most significant issue, the most significant problem that is preventing all, all of you, all human creatures from taking that journey with me. And not to put too fine a point on it, but that problem is sin. Paul says it right here. Christ died for our sins. And that word could bring up all kinds of feelings in you, but, but for me, it's pretty simple. It's, it's those things that happen in me that I just go, ah, I wish I hadn't done that. I wish I hadn't said that. I wish I could have that conversation back again. I wish I could have a do-over there. And I don't, I don't have to name them. I don't have to sit here and, and list a catalog. The Holy Spirit is really good at that. And if you know Jesus, if you followed him for a long time, then you're already healed. The scriptures say that you're clean. 1 John 1.9 says that you confess your sins. He's faithful to cleanse you. But I want to talk to you for a minute if maybe you've never embraced the gospel. Maybe you've never appropriated for yourself what Jesus has done for you. Because if you haven't, if, if your journey is maybe bumping out around here somewhere and it's never really aligned along that garden to city timeline, if it's never aligned with what God is doing in the world and you want it to, it's very simple to make that happen. You just simply say, Jesus, I want to turn from whatever it is that would keep me from you, and I want to be yours. You said that you offer yourself to me freely as both my Savior and my Lord, and I simply want to appropriate that now. I want to trust that your word is true. That when you said that, you meant it. And I'm just going to put my trust in you and take you at your word. And maybe you did that a long time ago and it just has not felt true in your life for some time. There was a moment, whether it was a year ago or 10 years ago or 50 years ago, and it's just gotten stale. And you want it to be as true now as it was then. And I would just say, I'm going to pray for you. And whether this is something you want to do new and now, or something you want to come home to, just pray with me. 
Just pray with me. Father God, thank you that you sent your son Jesus who offered himself for us and died for our sins and rose again to be both our Lord and our Savior. Jesus, we turn from whatever it is that would keep us from you and we turn to you. Welcome you and receive you. We trust you. We take you at your word that you love us and we can be yours. And we pray this in your name. Amen. In that same letter to the Corinthians in an earlier chapter, chapter 11, Paul also um, talks about communion, the thing that we're going to do now. And If you open the tab that has the bread in it and take it out, let's share this meal that the church has been sharing together for 2,000 years now. In the same letter, he writes this way, and he says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took the bread, and when he gave thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's share the bread together. continues on and he says in the same way after supper he took the cup saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood do this and whenever you drink it in remembrance of me for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes let's share the cup If you made a decision today, if you prayed that prayer for me, I want you to do a couple of things. I want you to text your decision to 9400. Because what happens when you say yes to Jesus, there's a couple of things that happen, but one of the things that happens is you get God's life in you. He says, I'll give, my, I'll give you my spirit. I'll put my spirit in you. And my spirit will be in you and with you. That's a promise. The very life that raised Jesus from the dead comes into you. You're changed from the inside out. But the other thing that happens is you get a new family. In Mark chapter 10, Jesus says, No one who has ever given up anything for me, who's ever turned away anything and, and turned towards me, won't get back in this life fathers and mothers and brothers and sisters and homes and fields. And what you saw in that baptism video was you saw a public declaration of people saying, I am entering into a new family relationship and I'm doing that here at this church. That's what they were doing. That was a public confession, a public acknowledgement that that's what was happening. And so if, if you made a decision today or you came home today and you've been feeling isolated, just know that this is your family and find somebody, find somebody with a lanyard, find somebody on the prayer team that's gonna be up front here today. Let them know that you've either made that decision for the first time or you've decided to come home, or you've decided to come home. And let them know 
and find a way to get involved. Get on that dream team. There's going to be three services starting in the fall. Start to serve. Start to build relationships. Join a group. Join a group. Sorry about the static. Get involved. Build relationships. You're part of a family. But like Paul says, he says that the Spirit of God builds a bond of unity between us. But his advice is contend for it. Invest in it. Make it real in your life. That's on you. Uh, I'm used to ending um, a message with a, a prayer of benediction. If you want to stand up and receive it, I'd like to pray that over before we sing the response song, Firm Foundation. And if you want to receive this blessing, you just kind of hold your hands out in front of you like that. Uh, I'm not going to boss you. If you don't want to do that, you don't have to. But if you're, you're willing and you'd like to, you can. May the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit bear you in their love through all of your journeys. May you always see God's faithfulness as you approach the great day of his city's unveiling. And may you always be quick to encourage those who have yet to know his love for them. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.